All right. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than That podcast. I'm so happy to be able to do this once again. And I'm also really excited. I've been looking forward to this to be able to sit down and talk with none other than my sister, Anna. She's currently working here in Kansas City as a nurse, but is also really involved in a youth ministry that started around six years ago now. And it's been pretty incredible just from the outside to look in and see how God has led from the the time that you started working with this or beginning this ministry to where it is now, all the things that have taken place. It really is quite incredible. So I'm excited for you guys to be able to hear the story. But Anna, I just want to, let's just get right into it. Let's just start with what is it that you do exactly here in Kansas City? Uh, how do you balance all these different things that you have going on? What What is a daily, what does it all look like? Well, it's good to be here. Um, I am thankful for the opportunity to share um, about what God has been doing. You know, every one of us have a story. That is something I truly believe. <clears throat> and um, recently in my own life, I've been going through the book of Daniel and oh, reading nice. about his story. And it's been so interesting because I've heard this story throughout, my, or, you know, Daniel's story throughout my life at different points. And I've always loved the story of Daniel in the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Or when Daniel and his friends asked the um, king's assistant for different food and, you know, different stories where it seems like, man, they had such great faith. Mm. (laughs) And this time going around or this time going through the story of Daniel, something that has just continued to be highlighted over and over in the stories instead of the focus of what they did for God. It's just realizing like, man, this is a story of what God did for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And from the time that they were taken out of Jerusalem, going, you know, taken into Babylon at each step of the way of their story, even once they get there and all that they face, it is such a, it is such a story of what God did for them and how he provided, how he met them where they were and walked with them and talked with them. And so when you ask about the story of NC for Y or the story of my personal story and how God's been leading, it truly, for me right now, I don't know how else to describe it except it's just sharing stories of how God has shown up in my life and has helped me. And um, each one of us could share it. If you know, if you ask the whole team who's a part of NC for Y, I think all of us have different stories of how God has met us. And so when you ask the story um, from my perspective, maybe just sharing of what God has done, yeah, of what he has done for us, it's kind of. That's pretty, that's a, that's a really nice way of looking at it. Especially, but you're right. Especially when it comes to the heroes of faith in the Bible, it almost adds a a lot of pressure to modern day Christians thinking, "How could I live up to what Daniel did or what Moses did?" And that's not it at all. It's how is God going to live up to what He did for Daniel and Moses? And He said He's faithful. He's going to do that. And so it's how God shows up for us, not how we show up for God. Yes, yes, yeah. so much so. I've always thought like, man, to have faith like Daniel or to right. have faith like Moses or Abraham. But the older I get, I realize, you know, you read their stories and broken people needing so much 
um, grace, and God gave that to them right. and showed so much love and mercy and truly guided them. And when they were ready to say yes to him, he never left them. Hmm. That's really powerful. I had to write that down just now. That's really, I like that a lot. So how long have you been living here in Kansas City then? So I moved to Kansas City in 2015, February of 2015. I had finished in December of 2014. I graduated from Union College with nursing, and I chose to come here to Kansas City to start working. And was that influenced mostly by the family members being here, or what brought you to Kansas City? You know, kind of a combination of things. I had looked at different hospitals, and at the end of the nursing program, um, we have a capstone experience where you go and you spend some time, about a month at the hospital. And so who I was partnered with, the nurse I was partnered with, um, we had a really good experience during that month. And at the end of the month, the manager offered me to, or offered me a job and said I could start immediately as soon as I passed the NCLEX. And it wow. was for days. Um, usually a lot of times after nursing school, you start on night shifts. And it was something that was really important to me at the time to see if there was any place I could work on days. Um, and then beyond that, uh, my sisters lived here. Two of my sisters lived here. And I debated whether to go to Iowa or where to go. Uh, my parents live in Iowa. And at the time, well, throughout their career there, they travel a lot. So I thought, well, maybe it would be kind of a place where I could go back and forth easily uh-huh. and be here in town with my sisters. Okay. So graduated college in 2014, December 2014, moved to KC, started, sounds like a good job for a nurse right out the gate. Nice. So let's let's back up a little bit, because I know once you got here to KC, um, what I guess what would be the start date of NC4Y? If it was six years, NC4Y is the ministry that Anna and a lot of um, other people are a part of now, but that was started mostly by just you becoming friends with people, but we'll get kind of into the origins of that in just a minute. But NC for Y is that name. So we'll be referring to that throughout the, throughout this conversation, but the kind of the start date of that or the origins of that, what year would that have been? It started in February 18, um, 2017. Okay. So you were living here for about three years and working before all that even yeah, took about place. Two years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. So let's, if you, if, it, if it's okay with you, um, let's put a pin right there in 2015. We'll get up to that in just a minute, but I know some pretty incredible stuff happened while you were in college. You were able to do, uh, some different mission work and just some different experiences that took place. So let's go back a little bit to kind of your college experience, maybe even coming out of high school. Do you think that early on, was there, were there any influential people in your life that kind of put you down this path of wanting to dedicate your life to mission or how did this all, cause I, or I don't know if you want to start with what took place in college. I don't know where you want to start, but kind of, I kind of want to hear the story of if there's influential people or how this all began. Well, as I look back in my life, there's um, different people along the way that I really feel like God um, just used in such a powerful way in my life and really impacted me. And so that itself could be a whole story of different people along the way. Um, so I won't go into so much detail with that, but um, a couple people that really stand out in my mind, um, number one, um, are my parents. And growing up in our home, um, they were involved with a lot of mission work. And I remember at a young age, uh, my mom took me over to India. I was 12 years old. That trip made a huge impact in my life. And uh, we went to Mexico on a mission trip and different places. And beyond going 
outside of the country, just even living here in the States, they were involved with a lot of different initiatives of service and um, they really included, included us in that. And so looking back, that has made a huge impact in my life. Um, Kind of, you know, you can kind of point or you can kind of put a pin at different places where it was like, oh, this was a life-changing experience or this was. And I think when I was 12, that experience of going to India was a very life-changing experience for me. I was young and seeing um, just life in a third world country really shocked me and very much, um, I feel like God started, maybe he was starting before that, but I remember feeling a desire in my heart to serve and to serve overseas. And so um, that kind of just, I just kind of kept praying that, that God would allow that to happen. So when I graduated from Sunnydale Academy, I decided to go to Union College And in that first year, I learned about their missions program that they had there for students who wanted to go overseas. And I just really started praying and asking God, is this something you want me to do? I was excited about the opportunity. I had chosen to go into nursing, and that year I was doing the prereqs to get into nursing school. And I knew that if I took a year out, that would delay going into nursing school. And um, there was a time period that I remember really asking God, is this what you want? But there was something... that I just kept holding on to that I really wanted to be able to just, to just take time to to go overseas and experience that and see which direction even in nursing that I wanted to go. And knowing that after graduation, there would be choices of what life would look like after that. And I wanted to take time to just um, do mission work and experience a year with just me and God and figure out some things. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, um, that year, I heard about an opportunity in Chad, Africa, and I had always really wanted to go to Africa. I had always a desire from when I was little. You know, you hear mission stories about all the things of previous missionaries that have gone there, and I, it's always held a special place in my heart. And so that year, I signed up to go to Chad, Africa. And the way their missions program works is you have to put your top three choices And so there was one in Chad, there was another place in Africa um, for my second choice, and then Nicaragua for the third. And so that year, what they do to prepare you for that, you have an intro to missions class you take, um, you write a research paper on the country you're going to go to, learning about the language, culture, and also the why behind why you want to (laughs) go. And so there was a lot of time put into it, a lot of thought put into it. And all throughout the year, preparing towards that, my excitement level for that, you start picturing it, you start praying about it, you start dreaming of it. And at the end of my freshman year, um, I got the letter of acceptance into the nursing program, and I asked the nursing program if they could defer my acceptance for a year, and I would go overseas. And they said yes, so they accepted somebody in my place, and then I was staying there after the school year to take a microbiology course during the summer. It was a three-week course, and it was packed. It was very intense, and I remember classes all day, and one day I got out late, and the chaplain called me, and I was sitting outside of the girls' dorm. I'll never forget, sitting on this bench, and I got the phone call, and he said, Anna, um, we need to talk. I've gotten news that there's a lot of political unrest in Chad right now, and they're not going to accept any student missionaries there. And I remember just, I mean, the moment of silence seems longer in my mind than probably what it was, (laughs) 
But I remember just sitting there thinking, like, how do I respond to this? And um, I asked a couple questions, and then he said, well, to tell you the truth, the second on your list, I think it was um, in Ghana. But he said, I think, or he said, the second one on your list has also fallen through, and there's political unrest. (laughs) And he said, and to tell you the truth, actually, Nicaragua has fallen through, too. We've called there to see if that's an opening. So basically, all three choices choices. were closed. (laughs) And um, I remember tears filling my eyes and <laughs> trying to remain calm. And um, he said, well, let's keep praying and talking. And so I hung up the phone. And I remember sitting on that bench just crying so much. <laughs> and it seemed kind of like I had hit a wall because I knew I couldn't start the nursing program that fall. So it wasn't like, okay, well, I'll just stay here. Um, and there was no place for what I could see to go to. And so... Um, I just started asking God, you know, is this something you really want? (laughs) And have I misunderstood? Was I not supposed to do this? And I just started praying. So in researching different places, you know, they have options on um, the GC website of different countries you can go to and serve, but it didn't really seem like there was an open door in any of them. So I I finished the microbiology course, and at the end of it, I had already committed to a summer of literature evangelism. And so I left and went there, and halfway through this summer, um, there was still no place to go. (laughs) August was coming, and uh, my parents are praying about it, my family was praying about it, and I got a phone call one day from my mom, and she was sharing that she and my dad had talked to somebody from India that they knew. Um, His name was Bob Robinson, and although he's not living today at the time, He and his wife had served in India for years as missionaries, and he had come to the camp meeting that summer um, for the Iowa Missouri camp meeting. And there they were talking and sharing about just updating, you know, about life. And um, when he they started sharing about, hey, just keep Anna in prayer. She's trying to find a place to go to. He responded and said there was an opening in Nepal to go to, and how there was a school there that needed a teacher for the year. And so my mom was sharing what he had said and said, is this something that you'd be interested in? And honestly, I was like a teacher. I'm not going into teaching. All the options I had chosen were to go to clinics. And it was like, "Mm, I don't think I could do this. And the second thing I was like, Nepal, I never wanted to go to Asia. I wanted to go to Africa. Like this was nothing according to what I thought. This is the direction that God was leading. And every part of it was like, what? what? (laughs) No. And then um, I remember saying, okay, I'll take some time to think about it. And I, uh, ashamedly, I had to go to Google. (laughs) I was like, where is Nepal? (laughs) We can delete that. It's a good start. Good start. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I mean, that's how, that's how bad it was. And so I was looking up pictures, and I'm like, no, Lord, this is not what I had in mind. What is happening? Um, But I continued to pray about it, and it seemed like, okay, you were believing that God wanted you to go take a year, and this seems to be the open door. And so I said yes, and there was about two weeks from when I needed to leave to when the decision was made. And so... Um, or meaning, meaning you had two weeks left? Like when you when you said, yes, I'll go, there was two weeks to get ready to leave? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. There was about two weeks until I needed to leave for the time that they were requesting somebody to be there. Okay. And so I, Pastor Ridge from Union College, um, he 
joined me in prayer and they just started taking the steps of seeing what was possible to get plane tickets and what was going to happen. So um, once the choice was made, that kind of that two weeks was kind of a blur. But I remember finishing up the summer and going home, packing, got a plane ticket. Um, What I knew when I was going was that um, I was going to be teaching, but I didn't know how many students or to who or what. And nobody there. (laughs) And the whole time there was part of me thinking, okay, if Jesus is opening this door, then it's going to be okay. But there is also a big part of like, am I doing the right thing? Is this a, is this a mistake? So I remember getting on the plane and getting to Nepal and um, finding out that it was to a school or there was a mission school there on the compound of Shear Memorial Adventist Hospital. Um, and the school, they were needing a teacher to teach K through fifth grade and English and science. And then, um, they were, the school is registered as a Hindu school cause they're not allowed to have Christian schools there. Um, but privately they were asking me to teach a Bible class, but that just wasn't shown on the kids <laughs> paper. Or, yeah. Transcripts or anything like that. If I were to sum up that year, it was probably the hardest year of my life, but also the most life-changing. And I'm thankful that God provided that opportunity because I really got to learn more about who He is (laughs) and, yeah, just more about Him and got to share a lot of life with Him. So you you were the teacher there the whole year you taught Bible? Yes, I taught English and science and then a Bible class. But it's you said it was on the the hospital area, so were yes. you able to work in the? Did it end up that you're able to work in the clinic kind of? Yeah, there? and that's what was so you know where you think okay this is my plan. <laughs> it's always dangerous to say this <laughs> yeah. is my plan number one and number two. It's so um, prideful to think that I could have a better plan than what Jesus <laughs> could do because he really um, that year spending time in the school and with so many of the children. That year was so impactful in my life with wanting to work with children, wanting to, I mean, even to the point of asking, should I go into education or should I keep with nursing? But with the hospital right there on the compound, after school, they would let me go in and um, just volunteer in the clinic. And I had no education, so it wasn't that I could really do very much. You had um, to observe. And- but I got to watch and they let me go with them. And then they also, um, a couple times, they let me go into the OR. And for me personally, that is when I first fell in love <laughs> with the operating room and surgery. And I got to be there during those surgeries. And so I decided that year to stay with nursing. And today, actually, I still, I work in the OR. And that's, oh, that's cool. a big piece of why. I mean, it's actually where I started to realize, wow, I really love this and I would like to work in surgery. Um, so it's just funny because I went into that year thinking like, what? Teaching. But it actually was, it was neat how God provided a place that I could, he knew what I needed, I think, number one and number two where I still got to learn more about the medical field and medical work overseas, which is what I had really been praying for. Yeah. And that, in that sense, it's almost ideal because if you went to only a clinic, you're, you were just reinforcing what you were already doing. You're already going into nursing, but in this sense, you got to experience a whole new way of life and teaching and working with kids while still being able to observe what you were already going to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So that can still help confirm what you going into nursing, but 
you got to experience a whole new way of doing life and working with people and things like that. Mm-hmm. That must have been really exciting. So you were there. You got there in <laughs> August. You came back to the states to go to re- return to college and what. So I left in August of 2009, and then I returned at the end of May in 2010. So okay, about, after the school year was mm-hmm, there. Nine months. Okay. Ten months, I guess. And what was that like? Because you weren't able to come home during those nine months. So what was that like going there and then coming back to go right back into college? You know, um, it was interesting because going before going, you know, I mentioned that union, they have you take this course of intro to overseas and they talk about, you know, culture shock and all the things that come with going to a new country. And, um, you know, something that I'm really thankful for, um, they really spent a lot of time teaching about the importance of being present where you are. And, you know, the temptation of like when you're away from home to spend a lot of time, like at that time, like looking online, looking at pictures or talking to family, which those things can be good um, and definitely needed. But to try to live in both places, then you're not really present either place. (laughs) And so they're just talking about the value of when you're there, just dive into there to be there and not spend all your (laughs) every moment online and that really helped me that year um one the internet connection was so terrible so a lot of time i couldn't call home but also um when i could it helped me realize okay i made a decision for this time to be here so you know the temptation after you get off the phone or throughout the holidays you call home and everybody's together um there's a temptation of feeling like oh i just want to go home but i really I feel like Jesus really helped that year in keeping in mind the decision and how he had provided a place and to keep that the focus. So actually, even that whole class of all the shock that comes with it, I don't really feel like I went through a lot of shock and going and a transition of like, what's happening? Uh (laughs) Yes, there's definitely unknown, but you kind of expected the unknown and kind of expected that everything would be different or that, you know, the spoken language was in Nepali, so there's not a lot of people to talk to. Um, there is definite things that you kind of expect to be different. What I was not prepared for was in coming back and the transition from living there to being here and back in school. And that probably was the hardest part of the whole experience, actually, for me. <laughs> in in what sense? And be before you go into that, I can. Um, I, I think I understand what you're saying. Just because, I suppose you have expectations that you're going to go back being the same person that you were when you left, and you've gone through nine months of an extreme trend or tr- extreme transformation and extreme uh, living circumstances that you were in. Coming back, thinking that you're going to go straight back into the same kind of friendships and way of life as before, but I imagine that can be somewhat jolting because you're not the same person but people kind of expect you to be the same person coming back. And so then that becomes, there's always going to be that kind of edge of friction there because Mm -hmm. you're not the same person and they expect you to be the same person. And um, maybe it's that you feel that nobody understands what you went through because nobody was there with you. And so you're having all these thoughts and feelings that nobody else can relate to. Is that kind of what the difficulty is? Yes. And I also, people change too. And so you, not only do you change and you come back, but people have also lived a whole year and you haven't been there either for the experiences that have happened there. And so 
it's a change on both sides. Uh-huh. And time passes and things change and people go through different experiences. And something that, um, you know, just for even as an example, I remember getting to the airport. I landed in the U.S. and <laughs> I had luggage. I had actually paid for extra luggage because I wanted to bring some things back that I hadn't actually gone there with. And so I had so much luggage and I was in the airport. I there was no way I was going to get from the terminal I was in to this other place I was flying out of. And so I went to go get a cart and to help just put the luggage on so I could just push it. And it was $5 for the cart. And I was like, Whoa. what? <laughs> this is crazy. I'm not spending $5 for this. But even little things like down to this, because even the... The currency is different, how much you can get for $5 here and how much you get for $5 there. And at that point, it was like, no, $5, I'm not paying $5 for this. And so I'm like, forget this. So I was hauling all these suitcases. <laughs> I mean, ridiculous as I look back on it. But at the time, it seemed like, no, that's such a waste. And I remember finally getting to the other gate. But when I landed and got home, it was so good to see family and be with everybody again But the part that really was the struggle for me is when I started going back to school. Because that year in Nepal, um, it really, number one, opened my eyes even more to just daily life in a third world country and all that comes with that. No electricity, no heat. Um, there was a lot of political unrest during that year. And so there's things you see that you're, the effects of war, the effects of fighting, People, just daily life can be very, very hard. And so that was one part of it. And the other part of it, every day going to the school, all of the kids, majority of them were Hindu. There was a lot of opportunity to teach about a God in heaven who loves them. Um, it felt fulfilling. It felt like, okay, there's a need and God can use me to help meet that need. And All that came from it, you know, even though that was the reason I went there to teach, that was one part of the year in Nepal. I feel like God used that reason to help me be able to go. Um, but a lot of time in the villages, a lot of time Bible, with giving Bible studies in different homes, it was a very life-changing experience for me. And I'm thankful for that experience. But when I got back to school, it was like, what am I doing sitting in a classroom spending hours a day? I just struggled with that so much. I felt like I was discouraged. I felt, I wondered if this is where I should be. I knew that if I wanted to do nursing, I needed to study and be able to go to school. But just as important as, in, um, just as, important as it is to be present when you're there, it's just as important to be present while you're anywhere you're at, wherever God places you. But I had such a hard time doing that when I got back. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I feel like what people may, may or may not understand is that not just with your experience in mission work, and it doesn't even have to be mission work, there can be time periods that seem short. In the grand scheme of things, nine, nine months away while being able to communicate with family, some people might look at that and say, like, that's oh, just nine months, just go back to school. But you take that and you go and put it in any kind of experience, there's intensifying experiences that there's the daily life that we live, but then somebody gets pregnant and nine months later they have a baby. And during those nine months, everything transforms about themselves, the way they think, like everything that there's experiences that we go through that intensify certain aspects of our character and intensify certain aspects of our life. And I can imagine it would be difficult because while you were there, 
you're responsible for your own food. You're responsible for trying to make whatever little money you have last. You're responsible for teaching kids to going back to school where let's be honest, at least for me in college, I don't really, I didn't really have a lot of responsibility. It was just kind of, you yeah. show up and you do whatever and you expect people to do things for you because you're in college and that's what you people should do, yeah, you should do. <laughs> people should do stuff for you. So, so to go from nine months of like this intensive experience of being responsible for little children and their lives and responsible for your own life to now you're in this setting where the at large, the mindset is like, Oh, this is nothing really matters. Kind of carefree, kind of whatever. I can imagine that would be a, like a, a very harsh dissonance between the two realities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as hard as the transition was, I am thankful for that transition because it helped me realize finally getting to the point of like, all right, the same God who's in Nepal is the same God who's here and the same devil who's out to um, really to destroy and to block our view of God is the same devil who's working here. <laughs> and so, yes, although daily life looks totally different, we are all in need of a savior and getting to the realization of like, all right, life is a gift, number one. And number two, wherever you are, Jesus can be with you. Um, although getting to that point was pretty difficult for me, but I am thankful for that struggle because it really, I didn't know what was coming. And I, I always, you know, I really believe because God does know the future, he's always preparing you for the next step. And I definitely needed that experience for what God had in store. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you brought this up. And I, this isn't something I was planning on talking about necessarily, but it kind of sparked something I've been thinking about for a while. And that's that we, that kind of experience I think is so important because somehow I think we have this idea that what you had in Nepal that's a real Christian experience yeah, that yeah. you are, you're doing the real Christian life where you're serving people. You're, you're suffering through circumstances that we don't necessarily suffer through on a daily basis. Um, going through all those, that's real Christianity. And then there, we believe there's such a thing as not on the front lines. We have like frontline mission work and we have not frontline, but mm-hmm. that's, I feel like at least for me, such a false dichotomy because there's no place you can go where, you're not in a relationship with God and there's no place that you can go where you're not being attacked with Mm -hmm. a worldview or a mindset or whatever it might be or different uh, thoughts. And so the, at least for me hearing that it's important because right now living, we, we take Paul's statement where he says, I've, I've grown accustomed to all circumstances. I can live with nothing or I can live with stuff. And we focus on, I can live with nothing. (laughs) Um, and like, okay, I need to be prepared for that. But nobody really talks about like the transition from living with nothing to now living with con- compared to what you were like su- uh, superfluous. I don't know that that's a terrible, it's a terrible mispronunciation. I just butchered that word excess living mm-hmm. with excess. Mm-hmm. But the reality is Paul learned to live with excess and he learned to live with poverty. There's two different ways of approaching that situation. Cause living with excess, you have to guard yourself against, um, like, just going all out and living a hedonistic lifestyle and that kind of stuff. That's one thing you have to guard yourself with living with nothing. That's another way. That's another way approaching, but both are valid experiences of living with God. Mm-hmm. Both are valid experiences of a relationship with Christ. Um, so I, I appreciate you bringing that out. That's a, you know, it's interesting too, that year, just as what you're mentioning, it's bringing back um, 
a thought that I had that year so often. It's like, why is it that we get to see God work so much here? Like it seemed to be like there were so many answers to prayers. And all of us, I mean, those who are believe there believe in God and have experienced his love and experienced his leading, all of us have a desire to want to know him more. All of us have a desire to want to see him work and pray that he can use us or pray that we can be a blessing to somebody or pray that he will be with us. And it it really I don't know if frustrated me is the word, but it it really I guess I just struggled with that concept so much of like, why is it here? where there's just so much need, like, okay, you, you get to see God work. And when I when I thought back at home, like daily life, it seemed like I didn't see God work like that. <laughs> and what a foolish, what a foolish thought. But I'm thankful God didn't leave me with that thought. <laughs> and he still kept confronting me with that. Because I realized, you know, Honestly, at the end of the day, it's my own heart. Like, do I feel a need for Christ? (laughs) Was I living as if I don't need him? And maybe that was the problem. (laughs) Because when you realize, like, no, the same God who's there is the same God who's here. And yes, although there's, there's kind of needs that smack you in the face there where it's a little bit easier to hide with pulling in, shutting a garage door, or shut the door after work, or, you know, everything can look good on the outside. We're just in as much in need and... I almost would even say even more in need of Christ. Uh, Let me back up a little bit because I, I I have yet to figure out how to articulate this and put this into words, but it's not that some people need Christ more than others. We are all in need of a Savior, but it seems like it's easier to mask that need here. And so it's not that God changes here. It's just maybe we're not recognizing our need for Him. Right. And that's where I was. Yeah, not not yeah. It works both ways. One, it's easier for somebody who's struggling to disguise it and hide it, and it's easier for somebody who to realize to not even realize they are struggling. Like they're yeah. to get lost in um, pursuing because we there's the freedom to pursue as much money as you want to make, and there's the pursuit for, like you can pursue whatever you want. There's so many options available that it's overwhelming. You don't know which option to take, mm-hmm. and even that is a whole situation unto itself. And so there's if we're taking the Bible seriously, there's material needs and there's spiritual needs. And just because material needs are met doesn't mean spiritual needs are met. And just yes. because spiritual needs are met doesn't mean material needs are met. Like there is a struggle in all aspects of life. Yeah. And, and those somehow, are two very different things. Right. And to somehow <laughs> split God into somebody who only works with those who need material things. It's like, that's a, that's so false. It's a, mm-hmm. that's not who God is. He works. His goal is for every single person to be in a relationship with them. And whatever avenue that takes, whatever road that you have to go down, his goal is a relationship and he's working. You know, it's interesting. Uh, sorry to derail the conversation a little bit. I was, we were just going over the Christmas story for this year and it was, it was just, it just blew my mind again. The, the wise men that came or the Magi that came from the East to see the baby Jesus, to see the Messiah, they're coming from a, a religion of like Zoroastrianism. We would call it a pagan religion that they're looking to the stars in order to give them prophecy of the future. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody were to tell us today, I'm looking to the stars for the future. It's like, you know, you're not worth the time like, to talk to you. Like you're insane. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. We think they're kooks. We think they're crazy. But the crazy thing is not only were they looking to the stars to find prophecy for the future, that's the very way that God communicated with them. That mm-hmm. he actually, in this false worldview, 
he validated it almost like <laughs> you're looking for he gave a, them a star. <laughs> yeah. You're looking for a prophecy of the future in the stars. Okay. Here's a prophecy of the future in the stars. Yeah. And through that, he led them to the Messiah. Um, and so powerful. Yeah. There that it doesn't, <laughs> we, we assume that the way God talks to us is the only way that God should talk to people. Like, yes. um, Oh, why would God talk to you through a vision? That's insane. God doesn't do that. It's like as if our experience is so much mightier. Like God doesn't have to talk to us through the Bible. He just chose to do that. Like he just wants a relationship. He's going to talk to you however you can understand. And mm-hmm. eventually that's going to lead you to the feet of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really cool experience. Mm-hmm. So it's been interesting to hear about how, I mean, how God speaks to people in different ways, how God had has led you through this pretty incredible series of events from going to desiring to go to Chad and then and, and all that falling through, then all of a sudden through a random uh, friend of our parents, you find out uh, an opportunity to go to Nepal. And it sounds like this experience in Nepal, from what you've been saying so far, has been really, had been really impactful for you, that you mm-hmm. had seen God work in new ways. And I know, I know we haven't gotten into it necessarily, but I know there's stories that you could share as far as the struggles of what took place there, of having to wrestle with new ideas and conflicting personalities and people and all these different things, but also through the love of um, the nation and finding the people there. You've already talked a little bit about that. So while you were there, you, this, you'd already mentioned this was your sophomore year in college. Mm-hmm. What was your plan while you were there? What were you thinking your future was going to look like during this nine month period and going back into nursing school? You know, I at that time, I didn't have a clear answer, but I knew throughout, I knew that medical missions is where I wanted to go, the direction I wanted to go. Even though I had really fallen in love with the kids and enjoyed teaching and being at the school, I had, I had kind of wavered back and forth between which direction, as I mentioned earlier. But it seemed like there were continued experiences of doors opening with um, nursing and um, being able to be at the clinic in the evenings and different experiences that I had there. I just felt convicted that I wanted to continue in nursing and um, to be able to go back overseas. Throughout, you know, I kind of explained the process in going to Nepal and in the transition of coming back. And as you mentioned, yeah, during those during that time there in Nepal, there are many experiences that I, I feel like God showed up very real and personal ways in my, in in real and personal ways in my life. And, um, truly feeling convicted when I left Nepal, that overseas mission work is where God was leading. And also very thankful for the experience he had already led me through and mostly just a desire to live for him. Pretty interesting to just talk about what, like like we have of the different ways that God talks to different people, and I'm sure God, while you were there in Nepal, God spoke to you in different ways, and you're able to hear God's voice in new ways. Um, but I feel like I have a little bit of advantage just as a kind of an insider or, or looking from the outside, being able to see your story as your brother. I I know uh, your heart is still in Nepal, and your heart has been in Nepal since you've been there. So, what are just some things? maybe a story or two of like what caused you to love Nepal so much while you were there, despite the struggles that you might've gone through. You know, the people, the people that um, I shared that year with really impacted my life. And, you know, it's funny, even in, I shared a little bit about my response to the opportunity to teach there. It 
for what my hesitancy was of like, how do we go into education? I'm studying. I want to go into nursing. It didn't seem like I almost wondered if teaching would take away from the experiences there. Like, oh, would I be in the classroom all day or what that would look like? But um, as I look back on that year, it just, it made it such a special experience because I think it provided opportunity to get to know the kids more and, um, and in getting to know them, then even on topics of homework or assignments and then going home to, if they needed help at their house to do homework, going to some of their homes to visit, and then you get to hear more of their story and meet their parents and then you know, just sharing everyday life together, it just really became special because you get to know a whole, well, so many of their stories and also what has led up to the way they think and then realizing how they've been living in a world that they didn't know about a God in heaven who loves them and finding ways to introduce God and share his love with them. It just was a very meaningful experience. And not only, yeah, I guess just in getting to share his love with them and also um, sharing everyday life, whether going to the grocery store or going to the farm with them or cooking in their homes or after school, like all of the things outside of the classroom were my favorite probably, but in the classroom is what provided that opportunity to be able to get to know them more. Yeah. It's kind of interesting that you mentioned it, that you don't necessarily think about it very often, but similar, similar to that, um, going to school overseas, that there's just questions that people outside of our immediate context think about and talk about or topics that people talk about that when you're around, you're like, huh, I guess I never even, that never even crosses my mind. Yes. And that kind of struck me coming, coming back from going over, going to school overseas, we started to work in a local church. And one of the, like the, the questions that came to mind, not just not in this local church particularly, but just in the Christian church at large within um, the Western context, it's like that question never appeared hmm. in the place I was before. And it's like, huh, I guess now that like, it's just a, you're right. There's a whole new way of looking at problems, a whole new way of working at the, looking at the world. And that's why I think it's so important to not, not only for mission, but just to travel in general, because mm-hmm. there's so many people in different contexts and each context, they're thinking about the world differently and they're asking different questions about the world, which leads to different conclusions. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just interesting to be able to see that and interact with that. Absolutely. You know, in Nepal, it's a very, um, Christianity is not very much allowed. <laughs> and actually, it's more predominantly a Hindu country. And um, so many of the families were either Buddhist or Hindu. And, um, you know, it's just so interesting because they you find out how different people are and you at the same time you find out how much we're so much alike mm-hmm. in questions that we ask and feelings that we may have about circumstances or experiences that we go through. And as much as daily life may look different there, um, I just I just found so much joy and um, value in the experiences of just everyday life, sharing it with them there and realizing we're very so much alike <laughs> in the way we think and what may be important to us. And at the same time, learning about just different ways of life. Right. Yeah. Different ways of thinking. 
So then having spent that time there and getting to know people, I'm sure you made friends there. Was your goal then to go back and work in Nepal or at least overseas once you finished nursing school? Yes. Throughout that year, I, um, by the end of that year, I had really come to a decision in my own heart of like, this is where I believe God is asking me to come back to. And at that time, I think, and looking back, I don't know if it was so much married to the thought of I was going to go to Nepal, but I really truly felt convicted that overseas work is where God was leading me. And, um, you know, throughout different experiences in Nepal, it just kept uh, reiterating that I felt like this is where God was leading. Uh-huh. So that by the time I was leaving Nepal, I mean, personally, I loved it there and the people and the experiences that I had there. Um, so in my own desire, I wanted to go back to Nepal, but I definitely felt convicted that overseas work is where I should go. And I think I think that's what you mentioned, uh, or maybe that was just in conversations we had leading up to this that that was part of the struggle of the transition of leaving Nepal back because mm-hmm. from all from what it sounds like you had an eye-opening experience with God there. Mm-hmm. And so almost would it be fair to say that coming back and starting classes at Union Nursing College like or nursing school it almost it's almost like you left God in Nepal and now you're trying to like feeling like oh I need to get back and so everything felt kind of like up in the air, like I need to get back to where God is and be where real things are happening. Yeah, I think that's what surprised me the most in the transition and coming back. Um, as I mentioned before, that was a bigger culture shock to me than in going to Nepal. And I think it was because I felt like, oh, I'm coming home. I'm coming to what I know. And, ex- you know, you kind of have expectations of how things will be. And you realize that so much changes throughout that year. And for me, you know, as much as I look back with loving memories towards Nepal, when I stopped to really think about the different experiences, uh, experiences, a lot of it were through hardships mm. and time with just falling on my knees <laughs> or crying to Jesus and ask for help. And he really just showed up in such real and personal ways that I felt so close to him. Like it felt like I could see him work or that even though there were needs around, I could sense his presence. Mm. And when I got back and started nursing school again, it was like, okay, yes, I feel convicted. This is where I'm headed. And I didn't want to lose that purpose and that vision. But the the everyday life is what I couldn't Mm. connect of like, how am I supposed to live with as much faith and reliance on God when I wake up and I have warm running water and I go to bed in a comfortable bed and I go and have a full meal at the cafeteria. Like all these needs are met. How am I going to experience God here? Hmm. (laughs) And yeah, I I had a hard time. You know, you mentioned earlier about, well, just how God speaks to us in different ways. And I'm I'm thankful God let me go through that struggle because it came to the point of realizing Like, yeah, it's not just when you physically need something that he's there for you. (laughs) Right. And that's what you were mentioning earlier. Right. That the spiritual need is as important as the material need. And when one or the other isn't met, you're still, you're still lacking in some. Yeah. And I, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but just before I forget it, or the, the, the false belief that if my material need is met, then somehow, um, 
either there's two ways of thinking about one, I don't need God, or that means God is blessing me mm-hmm. kind of thing, which mm-hmm. a lot of material needs are just circumstances of where we live. Like they're just byproducts of almost unimportant compared to what's what the focus is. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, and it doesn't reveal whether material material things do not reveal the condition of the heart. <laughs> right. They don't and, reveal if God is, if you're in a saving relationship with God or if God is blessing you, they yeah. just reveal the circumstances of the country you're at, the location you're at, the city you're in, whatever it might be. Everybody lives in different material contexts. Mm-hmm. And when I was in Nepal, I think that's what, you know, those moments of like, you see somebody sharing food when they have so little, or you, they invite you into your home and you light a candle to be able to see what you're eating. Or, you know, there's these different moments that just seem so precious, so personal, so close. And also then there's so much need and then you see God answer prayers. I think in coming back when there's, um, when there's, I guess, an abundance of excess, really excess. And then it's like, I just wanted to go back overseas where I felt like God was working. And, you know, I've shared with you outside of this time, just just how thankful I am for that struggle that God allowed me to go through because I, that would be a sad place to land to think that you have to be somewhere in order to experience God. Mm. And I also am thankful because it, it helped me realize that the same God who's there in Nepal is the same God who's here. And it's not so much what's around us. It's what's going on inside of our heart. And Man, I truly needed a savior and help all through nursing school. And I think, you know, as you're talking about the struggle and transition and coming back, part of it, you know, you kind of feel bad because it's like, okay, yes, I have a purpose for this, why I'm sitting in the classroom all day. But at the same time, you almost wonder, am I being selfish? Am I, (laughs) what is the purpose of this, especially in the difficulty of it? But throughout that experience, I think, he was just trying to teach me, <laughs> uh-huh. to teach me to live presently with him. So it sounds like then you're uh, hearing God speak very clearly that for you, at least you need to go overseas after this is done. Um, after you graduate school, that is that God's calling you there. But I know that um, where we're headed is the transition took place where after you graduated, you went, moved to KC for a little bit with still understanding. It seems like your mindset was still this is all kind of meaningless, at least for you. I need to be back overseas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then what was the transition then sort of graduating, excuse me, to then you're, you started working in KC with the vision of going back to now where we are today. We don't have to necessarily cover that time period, but what was the transition transitioning moment, you think? So December of 2014, graduation came. And after that, I mentioned I went to, I had decided to move to Kansas City. And my sister Elizabeth and her husband Curtis had invited me to live with them and um, for some time and be able to help get out of debt from school. And so in February of 2015, I moved in. And um, throughout that year, I had been in a relationship for a couple of years and we were headed towards a direction of getting married and being able to go overseas together. And, um, you know, different circumstances and changes came and we, we kind of found that we were going in different directions. And at that point that was towards the end of 2015. And, um, 
it kind of came to a point of just getting on my knees again and asking God what he wanted in my life and which direction to go. And I still felt convicted that I should go overseas. And so I just purposed to keep trying to get out of debt from school. And really, when I look back on that year, a lot of it was spent like working, sleeping, working, sleeping. And, you know, I shared this with you before, but it's interesting because as I look back, so much of that time, I remember feeling like, one, I wanted to I wanted to be used by God, and it seemed like that was overseas where that could happen. <laughs> and I would go, you know, and I look back, I was attending a church during that time, but I would go the latest as possible and leave the earliest as possible. <laughs> and it was kind of my routine. <laughs> and then go home and sleep and get caught up for the rest of the week with work. And then, you know, it kind of became the weekly cycle. And I look back on that and I just, um, yeah, the weekly cycle. Yeah, it, to your point, it, uh, it all, it all becomes the same thing. And if you have any kind of goal, everything else kind of takes a sideline to that. And you're pursuing that goal, not you specifically, but people pursue the goal everything else becomes kind of a sideline. But it seems like in the world of Christianity and the world of the Bible, it all is intensified because not only are you pursuing a goal, you're pursuing a goal that you believe God has told you. Or, mm-hmm. And so everything is like, oh, I got to forget everything. But it's, and so it seems like what you're saying is what you're experiencing is, is that kind of driven passion to get back overseas was causing you to miss just like the community life that you were already there. Mm-hmm. That the church life wasn't happening. The family life was it was happening, but it was, you were exhausted and tired and working because there was just all a goal to accomplish the goal of getting back overseas. Yes. So much so. And, you know, I think back, I was spring of 2016. Um, there was a man that came to Kansas city, Brian Gallant, and he started studying with Elizabeth and Curtis and I, and going through the book of steps to Christ. And that really, um, That really impacted my life for many reasons, but especially when I think back on it, it was really just softening my heart towards who God is and what he has done for us. And over and over in Steps to Christ, in that book, it talks about his love for us and wanting a relationship with us and coming here to be with us, (laughs) leaving heaven and living here in this world with us. And um, it seemed like Throughout that time while we were studying, even though there wasn't a conscious decision of like, okay, it seems like, yeah, it seemed it, even though priorities weren't changing during that time. So it started to be on my mind more and I could sense just a softening in my heart to be reminded of who God is and his love for us. And, um, You know, in August of 2016, uh, I got a call from a friend one morning, one Sabbath or Sabbath morning. I got a call from a friend one Saturday morning, and he was inviting me to go to church with he and his wife. And that morning specifically, I remember I had been praying about, Lord, I just need a friend. Like There needed to be more purpose in life than just trying to get out of debt, you know? And... um. Anyways, I said yes. I went with him and his wife, and we went to church, and then afterwards we went to their home and ate lunch together. And throughout the conversation, 
he was mentioning how many Nepali refugees were here in Kansas City. And I had heard that before. My dad was involved with some of the families he had met in Kansas City, and he had been studying with a family um, who he had shared about with us. And Elizabeth and Curtis, who I was living with, they had gotten to know a Nepali family um, who they were getting to know more and becoming friends with. And even while knowing that, I still had such a purpose in my mind of like, okay, that's so neat, but I still want to go overseas. I wasn't really getting to know anybody from Nepal, even though I wanted to go to Nepal to be with them. (laughs) So um, that day at the lunch table or at the table as we were eating lunch, he uh, just invited me. He's like, let's go over to the soccer field. A lot of the kids play soccer over there. I always see them over there. Let's go over and meet some of them. And I remember telling him like, no, absolutely not. Kids should not be talking to strangers. We're just going to show up. And I just, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. And so finally he convinced me to go over there. So to my relief, there was nobody at the park. And then on the way back home, uh, he saw a couple of the kids standing on a street corner next to an apartment complex. And so he pulled in to the parking lot and he said, Anna, get out, go over there and talk to them. Tell them you're from Nepal. They'll be so excited. And I'm like, no, absolutely, I cannot do this. And he's like, just get out, go say hi to them. They'll be excited to know that, you know, you went to Nepal. So I finally, um, well, even at that point, I'm just sitting in the front seat. I'm like, no, I'm not getting out of this car. And so he literally was opening the door, pushing me out to get out. And so I find myself walking over there. And so I just introduced myself to the girls and started to share that I had been to Nepal and asked where they were from. And they said they too were from Nepal. And I didn't want to scare them. So I just asked them, is your mom home or could I meet your mom as well? And so we walked up to the apartment that they live in. And um, when they went inside, they called her out. And I remember her just kind of peeking her head out the door (laughs) and wondering, like, what is happening? Who are you? And at the time, I could remember that one of the words in Nepali for friend is sati. And so I was just asking her, like, if she would want to be friends. (laughs) And I had been to Nepal and I would love to get to know them. And so she invited me inside and we kind of just started talking about things and from Nepal and one of the, you know, every person you meet who is from Nepal, they love Nepali food. <laughs> and the food is a very big part of every day and cooking and eating together. And so we started talking about food and and then they invited to come eat with them the next day. And so <clears throat> for me personally, I went expecting, okay, we're going to sit down, eat together. And when I got there, I remember the family had gone to do laundry, so I got to play with the kids for a while, and then a couple hours passed, and the parents came back home, and then it was going to be, we're going to cook together and spend time. But throughout that time, you kind of get to hear more of their story. And so hearing, um, for me at that time, I didn't really know much about how people become refugees and what that means and all of that comes with it. And, you know, each person has a different story, but for them, they had really experienced a lot of hardships. And um, so a lot of that day was just spent listening to some of the stories that they were sharing and cooking. And then we finally ended up um, sitting down and eating together. And after that, they invited to go to their family's house. They wanted to meet some or wanted me to meet some of their relatives And I had debated whether I should go. And then I'm like, okay, I'll go with you. So we went to one of the homes. And when we walked in, I remember a lady sitting on the floor and she was kind of holding her leg. And the story came where they explained that earlier, um, 
the week before she had been hit by a car and she had this big wound on her leg and they had just come from the hospital. She had a lot of discharge paperwork and then there was a lot of um, dressing changes and like things that supplies that she needed to be able to change the dressing. And so they're sitting there like, can you help us? And when I looked at the discharge paperwork, you know, everything is in English. And it was kind of this moment. I remember thinking like, yeah, how are they supposed to know how to do it? All the instructions are in a different language. And so I started reading through what it said. And then it was something specifically that I could help with. So I just explained um, what to do and we changed the dressing. And, you know, we spent some time talking and eventually it was about... I guess that whole day we spent about eight or nine hours together. So at the end of the day, I got in the car and on my way home, it was just about 15 minutes. And I realized, well, actually, I just really burst into tears. I just remember feeling like, how in the world have I been so focused and wanting to go overseas and I'm not even seeing the people in front of me? And it really, it really shook me a little bit <laughs> because I, I really had been making decisions each day for a certain reason, believing wholeheartedly this is the direction, but not really living with the principles that Jesus teaches us with how to live. <laughs> and I wasn't really taking time to see the people around me either. And that started me on a journey of just praying, help me to see the people in front of me. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point that you bring up because even if you've been working with the uh, working here in KC now, and these friendships have turned into a whole ministry involving lots of other people. But even if the God's call is for you to still go overseas, and even if for people God is calling you in a certain direction, that doesn't mean that on the journey to that direction or on the journey to that mm -hmm. location that you don't have things to do. It's not like God has one singular purpose in your life that you do one act of service for him and you've done it all. It's about the journey of along the way to wherever he's calling you, you still like mm. his, and I guess in a, a special, or just hitting me now, like when Christ came to the earth, his goal, his mission was to, for the cross without, if he came and lived on earth and went back to heaven, it's all for nothing. The cross never happened. Like the cross is our defining moment. But even though the cross was the goal, he taught the kingdom of life along the way. Mm. On the way to the cross, he was still meeting with people, healing people, doing all these different things, even though that was not his main goal that he had set out to be. So I think what you're bringing up is important that if you're feeling God's call that you're supposed to go somewhere or be somewhere, that does not mean that along the journey to that place that there's just nothing for you to do or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. God has given us a an example of living a kingdom living along the way to a destination. Oh, it's so powerful how you articulated it. It's just so, I mean, really, it's it's so life-changing to think about God coming to this earth, <laughs> Emmanuel, another name of him, God with us, Jesus being here with us, and living life with us and all the experiences along the way leading up to the cross, how many... It's true. That's right. what you said. It's so powerful. And it's kind of cool to hear how you're describing this, that I think a lot of there's a misconception that people have that if God is leading them somewhere, it's going to be, it's going to have a road to Damascus kind of experience where God's going to tell them straight out, blinding light, I have this mission for you, Paul, kind of thing. Mm. But from what you're describing, it's just kind of, you can recognize God working in hindsight, but in the moment, it's just 
your decision to get to know somebody and that decision to get to know somebody led you to a decision or that decision to be part of a Bible study about God's love softened your heart in order to get to know somebody and getting Mm. to know that person led you to get to know their relatives and getting to know their relatives. Like in the moment, it doesn't seem like God is telling you this large grandiose, grandiose plan of this is what I have for you. It's just live life, getting to know people, being in relationship with people. Yeah. I mean, truly it did not, even at that point after meeting the family and after, I mean, it kind of started me on a journey of just praying, help me to see the people in front of me. But all that, you know, sometimes when we tell stories, it's like we get to the end point and we see the whole picture. But man, during that time, there was still so much unknown surrounding it. And I'm just thankful that God's always there. He's very present and he's very much a personal God who shows up in real and personal ways. And I guess that's what he really did for me that. Yeah. And even even at this point, even at this point, people might look in and say like, oh, how do you guys get to where you are? And even now, I'm sure for, uh, from conversations we've had in the past, it's not that you know what's going to happen in the future now either. It's not like that kind of lifestyle has changed. It's still just getting to know people. And as you get to know people, who knows what's going to happen? Is that kind mm-hmm. of, is that how you feel? Yeah, I feel like with each step, God kind of gives you the next step and it starts to get into not that, I mean, I would love to say just every day, like, okay, Lord, whatever, right. yeah. <laughs> I'll take the next step fully trusting. No, the struggle is still there of asking God and asking God for signs to know what to do next and where is this leading. And I feel like he does that. He answers according to what we need. And, you know, during that time after I got to know the family that I visited that day, it was shortly after that my dad had asked me to visit a family with him um, where he had been he had been you know drawing closer to this family and they had a really good friendship and um, their son along with three other boys in the community were gonna go to Sunnydale Academy for that school year and my dad had asked me to go pick them up and take them to the school and so I remember driving into the apartment complex that they lived in. And, and this is a different complex than where the family you had met. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It was about a mile away. And um, I remember driving into the apartment complex and just, just very much sensing like, man, maybe this is where I should be right now. And a couple reasons for that thought, even though it had only been like a week after or a week or two after I met the family, I had spent quite a bit of time with them that during that week And so, I mean, I've shared this with you before, but so many moments along the way that were just like, man, how in the world? (laughs) Like so many struggles that they face in coming here, you know, just as if any of us, if we were to have everything taken from us and move to a different country and you don't know the language, all the struggles with just daily life that I hadn't really thought about before. And one of those, I remember going to her home that week and there was like this pile of mail And it was like important things, (laughs) things that would make a difference. Information from the school about the kids, um, information from one of our doctor's appointments, bills. And, um, you know, little moments throughout that week that were not so little and how it impacted me of just like, how how in the world? (laughs) And um, I guess during that time after I, you know, I went to go back to the story of driving into the apartment complex, I was going there specifically to meet my dad and to get the boys to pick up, to take them to the school. But those experiences throughout that last week had really started me thinking about, 
you know, if they don't have somebody there to help them with some of those steps. Well, not only if they don't have any, but what is mostly it was just like, what is Jesus asking me to do in this? Like, uh-huh. um, you know, one of the gifts with nursing is that you can do a full time job in three days. And so there are other days of the week that you have um, with still being able to work full time hours. And I had time outside of work and it was like, man, is this where I should be spending more time? And so by the time I was driving into that apartment complex, I had been thinking a lot about all the things that had happened. And um, when I met my dad, I remember telling him, like, do you think I should move here? And his response, um, he kind of was quiet for a minute, and then he just said, well, you're going to have to pray about it. And so I got the boys and... You know, we headed out to Sunnydale and on the way, it's a couple hour drive. And throughout that time, they started sharing stories. And, you know, we talked about different things, getting to know them. And they shared about coming here for the first time. They too were Nepali and had been living in the refugee camp in Nepal before they moved here. And so just hearing from their perspective at 15 years old, 16 years old, um, things that they had experienced to that point. I just felt like I was speaking to me more and more of putting a burden on my heart to just start noticing the people around me more. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And really, I just felt like, man, Lord, forgive me for being so blind (laughs) and so, I guess, stubborn is the only word that comes to mind right now of like, this is the direction I believe, so this is what this means, without actually leaning into a day-to-day walk with him of saying, what do you want today to look like? Mm -hmm. Even if that direction still is the direction. Like, yeah. yeah. Like that end goal still could be the end goal of going overseas, but along that way. Yeah. yeah. And so after um, I dropped off the boys, I came back to Kansas City. And over the next couple of months, I just started spending time with the family. And through that relationship, you get to know other families. And I'd, um, I took my dad's advice and started praying about moving there. And in November of 2016 is when I signed the lease and moved in to an apartment complex or to an apartment there. And there being the family that you met were the boys that you picked up to go to school. Yes. Okay. It was at Hillcrest village apartments and, um, and there was a large population of Nepalese refugees there. If I'm understanding. Yeah. As I had gotten to know the family and made visits, even in that apartment complex, there just seemed to be people from all over. Um, many, many refugees there from different countries, but there was a large, Um, Nepali community that was there as well. And, you know, as you visit different apartment complexes, you meet different families, but I just, it seemed like this was the place I needed to go. And so I ended up um, choosing to move there. And that was in November of 2016. Yeah, that's, uh, in some ways that's a, a big move. And in some ways I'm sure that felt at the time, like that's just what you're supposed to be doing. I think it's kind of interesting that when we when we do steps along the way, uh, that it doesn't necessarily feel like a difficult thing at the time. It's just kind of what you're supposed to supposed mm-hmm. to be doing. But I think it's the whole. If we're looking in hindsight back about how this ministry started and all these different things, I think it's so important that decision. It kind of sticks in my mind as kind of a milestone because it's very it's very difficult to do. I don't know exactly the words I want to use to say it, but mission isn't something that you do necessarily. It's not a uh, yes. an act that you leave. 
Yeah. And so the idea of living, this whole idea that you keep repeating over and over of just living around people, getting to know people, living life with people, the same way you live life with people in Nepal, same way Christ lived life with people here on earth, that whole embodiment of mission isn't something you do, it's just something you live of you're just around people. And it's not that you're there for the purpose of converting or whatever it might be. You're just there to get to know people mm-hmm. because you want to experience, you want to, you want to know their experience and their experience resonates with your experience. So you just want to get to know people and that leads to different things. But that's part of my problem, I guess, with uh, the discussion we have in church at time and church, like organized church at time, as far as like, how do we, we have these different programs of going to do mission mm-hmm. and it, it misses the most important part, which is just living life with people, whether mm-hmm. or not you uproot your family, like uh, whether or not you go live in a, a, where you went to live, or even if you just stay, you were to stay in the neighborhood that you were in, whatever it might be, just get to know the people around you, wherever that leads, that lead. That's, mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a heart condition. Yeah. <laughs> like it, you can have all the programs in the world, but living with Jesus day in and day out and with him, I think that's what he's trying to teach us how to do. Mm-hmm. And I think he teaches us all in different ways. For me, um, it's been a journey for sure and a process and something I still am learning what that means and what that looks like day to day. But when you look at Christ, I think that's why the Bible study, that's why I wanted to mention it, because it just, it really impacted me when, you know, anybody who hasn't read Steps to Christ, it's a book that really has changed my life. But um, over and over, it just reiterates like how much he loves us and how much he wants to live every day with us. And something that Brian brought up a lot throughout the Bible study is loved people love people. Mm. And... um it really stood out in my mind. It just kept kind of coming over and over like, okay, if we're accepting Jesus love, then what does that look like in loving people? Um, so for me personally, I felt like that's what, that's what I should do. And so when I moved in, I guess that's, you know, honestly, I just, I guess I just kept praying, like help me to see the people in front of me. And, you know, even with living right there and, there's people all over, you know, you pull in to the apartment complex to park and before you get to your house, you've already seen some of the families that are outside or there's a lot of opportunity to meet people and, or you go to get your mail and you meet another family and, um, around there, if you go to the gas station, you'll meet families that go to the grocery store and you start recognizing people. And, you know, even with the community right there, um, it seems like, God was trying to teach me a lesson of like the way, the way I live Uh that, and whether you're getting gas, you can live for him. (laughs) Whether you're going to the grocery store, you can ask Jesus to be with you. (laughs) And it's like a daily conversation, a daily walk with him and having that friendship. And I guess just experiencing his love is what I wanted others to be able to experience because the truth is we don't really have answers to the pain. I mean, we don't have answers to the pain of this world. And the fact is um, the refugee plight or their journey is a, one of the greatest humanitarian crises in this world, getting to know people from the refugee community 
and hearing their stories, they've really experienced a lot of pain. <laughs> and, um, I, and I guess in the purpose in my heart during that time was just to be a friend and introduce to them the truest friend they'll ever have. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's Jesus Christ. Mm. So that you're, you're living there in the apartment complex, getting to know families. You said you moved there in November. If I understand correctly, um, we're talking about this This whole conversation is leading up into a broader conversation of NC4Y, which is the youth ministry that you're a part of and now a lot of other people are a part of. So the NC4Y official youth ministry kind of thing, as far as I understand, started in February the following. Mm-hmm. So that had been February of 2017? Yes. Yep. Okay. So you moved in November 2016. NC4Y started in 2017. Just very briefly... What was the catalyst for that? What took place around February that NC for Y as a name started? So after I moved in and was spending more time with some of the families around me, um, I was getting to know a lot of teens. And, um, you know, you get to spend time with them, but you also get to see how life is. And getting up, going to the school, you hear about stories at school with all the things that happened there. Um, you realize just the environment of how much, I guess, in in getting to know them, you hear more of just daily life. And that's what I, I had never lived in the inner city before. And even though I feel like I've lived in cities before and familiar with life, living there was a new experience and just seeing how much like the prevalence of drugs and alcohol and how available it is and there, I mean, even in the short time that I was there in the beginning, um, there were a lot of like gunshots or people injured, even within the apartment complex that I was living in. Lots of sirens you hear at night, like just it just starts. I guess I just became more aware of like the, the reality of everyday life, and it started, you know, as you're getting to, or as I was getting to know some of the teens. Just realizing like, man, there's got to be a place where they can be with being pointed to God. Because when you're surrounded this day in and day out, it does seem like normal life. But there's so much more that God has for us. And so um, I mentioned before there was four boys that went to Sunnydale or four teens that went to Sunnydale. And uh, Sunnydale is just the local Christian academy. And for this, we live in the Iowa, Missouri region that's connected by a conference of churches. And so Sunnydale is the Christian school that operates within that area. Yes. Yeah. It's a local academy, although local being a couple hours away. Right, yeah. But it was within the Iowa, Missouri Conference. And um, there was an opportunity that Sunnydale had said that they would help um, those four guys be able to attend there, even though with expenses and all of that, they couldn't afford it. Um, they had an opening that they could go. With those, their experience kind of pausing on my experience when they had gone to Sunnydale, their families had a hard time with letting them be there and um, with the distance and not being at home. Because, you know, in the homes, it's usually the teenagers that know English and are learning the language or the young children are. And so they help a lot with daily life, whether it's answering phone calls, helping schedule appointments, paying the bills. And so they really felt, (laughs) I mean, it the families were missing them and wanted them to be able to come Mm -hmm. back home. And so at, um, 
I kind of left off where in the first couple months of living there. But at the same time, those four boys at the end of the semester, so it would have been December of 2016, had made the decision to come home at the end of the semester. And um, their families had asked them to stay, not to go back. And so one of them, um, his name was Addis, or his name is Addis. And um, he, on and coming back to Kansas City, we reconnected. And he had, you know, his story is so powerful. He'll have to share it sometime, but so I won't go into all the detail, but God had been working on his heart too. And as he um, had gone, even for a semester at Sunnydale, it really impacted his life and just how much the environment can change things and how he, he shares a lot about everything pointed to Christ. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, you're in class and you pray before the class starts or you have a time where you worship together at the end of the day. And all those daily things really impacted him in such a way that he was, even though he knew he needed to stay in Kansas City or that's what his parents were asking him, he wanted something different. And so he had gone, um, he was looking for that. And when we talked, I guess in January of now, this would be 2017, we kind of talked about his experience and he was sharing what happened at Sunnydale and I was sharing about the experiences I had had since we had last been together and um it just seemed like we were right in the same spot of feeling like there's got to be something more here <laughs> where kids can experience getting to know God and have an environment to be together hang out or learn and not have drugs and alcohol a part of it and that there's something more that they can choose it's not you know, it's not just what's surrounding them. And so in that conversation, it was like, this, this is it. This is what we need to do. Now, what would this look like? And he's like, well, I'll bring some of my friends and we'll get together. So he did. He went out and he got his sister and some cousins and um, a couple of his friends. And in February of that year, um, we came together and we shared with them what we had, what was on our hearts And they were excited and said, yes, let's do it. Let's, you know, let's be a group that helps the community and helps other teens have a place to be. And um, so we started getting together, like we would eat meals together and we would talk about things like, what, what do we want this to look like? And it came to February 18 of 2017, um, the day where we decided to sit down and we were going to try to come up with a name for our group. And one of the boys, um, he was sitting there for a long time just thinking and we were all throwing out different names and it didn't seem like anything fit. And he's like, what about the name New Change for Youth? And everybody in the room, there were six of us together and it was like, yes, that's it. <laughs> that's what we're praying for, New Change for Youth. And so uh, we shortened it. Well, both, you can say New Change for Youth or we're like, oh, we could call it NC for Y too for short. And so it kind of launched that. Okay. And so that was in... That was a moment where it seemed like it's official. <laughs> okay. So NC for Y as a group started with just getting to know some people um, and young people deciding that they wanted a space to talk about God and get closer to God apart from the environment that they were living in. Mm-hmm. So when you first started February 18 as NC for Y, it wasn't necessarily that there had been a lot, a lot, like a lot of I guess like planning and money thrown into let's start this program for this area, whatever it might be. It was kind of the people you, you and some other young people wanting to experience God in a new way. 
Yes. And so your goal was just to meet together and talk about ways to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it didn't, you know, as you see a need, you start to just, there's different responses we can take, but it seemed like God had placed the burden on those teens. And honestly, they were so determined to help make a difference. <laughs> and so it really, just looking back, I feel like God had brought us together um, with the same purpose. And through that, it wasn't, as you say, it wasn't, we didn't have a, we didn't have a plan. <laughs> uh-huh. We didn't have anything planned out, but it, we did have a prayer in our heart and a purpose in mind of wanting to make a difference in the community and wanting to do it together. And so um, when the beginning days, when I think back, it was very much of like just spending time together, getting to know each other more and um, talking about we wanted to do a community service project, but we thought, okay, let's have an event (laughs) where we can invite more teens to. So we went ice skating was the first event and Elizabeth and Curtis and a couple, there was a guy from work that I, um, a respiratory therapist, he was almost retired, but he had a love for youth and had heard about some of the kids we had talked about. And so he came to, and um, a couple of us, we just went to this ice skating rink. And at that night, it was probably around 20 to 30 of the teens. And we went back to Elizabeth and Curtis's house and Addis and Bevic, one of the other guys who helped get it moving. Um, they stood up and announced to all the teens, like, this is official. Welcome to NC for Y. There's two rules. And they had decided the two rules would be no cussing, no swearing, and then no drugs and alcohol, just to have a place where that's not going to be a part of it. And um, and the teens there that night, I remember um, one of the girls, she was from a Hindu home, and she was saying like, you know, I have clothes at home that I can give. I know a lot of people don't have enough clothes, and I'll bring a bag of clothes. And they started sharing ideas. Well, I can bring this, or we can do this. And it just seemed like they, at the thought of being able to do something to help somebody else, it just spoke to them and they were in. <laughs> okay. That's, that's really cool. Especially because I think sometimes we, we uh, have a tendency to over plan and under underperform. I don't know if that's a, it's not an actual saying, not underperform, but like we like to plan, plan, plan without actually ever doing something. When, as we, as you've been saying this whole time, all that God is really asking us for to, us to do is to be in relationship with him and ergo, if we're in relationship with him, if we're connected to him, we're in relationship with other people. And whatever comes of that, comes of that. Um, so kind of, if I'm understanding correctly, because the the next conver- the next step in this conversation about talking about the organization of NC for Y and where it's gone in the last six years, we're actually going to have a separate conversation. We're going to bring in some other people mm-hmm. that have been involved with that. So I kind I think we're coming to a close here as far as we've gotten to the origins of February 18 NC for Y was started and kicked off with an event with ice skating. It's been a journey, but I think throughout it, um, I think Jesus has been teaching that he wants our hearts most of all. And every day we can live for him and wherever he puts us, he mm-hmm. had, he can use us to be a blessing to other people. And, and he uses other people like it, it, we're a part of a family of God uh-huh. <laughs> and you know, God knows exactly what we need. And I've shared with you earlier, um, soon after NC for Y started, um, that March I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and it was, it seemed at the time like derailing mm-hmm. <laughs> from what seemed like, wow, we're making 
headway in this direction. But you know, um, when I look back, you, you know, there's different Bible stories. I'll just pause here. There's different Bible stories where we get to read about how God showed up for different people and what he did for them, as I was mentioning earlier with Daniel. And in that time in my life, although it seemed like, how does this fit in? Or what is life supposed to look like? Um, I had ended up having a major surgery. And then thankfully, it seemed like the cancer was gone at that point. Um, but that was spring of 2017. And over the next couple of months, I had to take off time from work after the surgery. If you were to look outside or from an outside view of my life, like I had nothing. <laughs> and most days I was in a lot of pain. Um, you know, when you're not working, that affects finances. And it can, it was feeling like, what can I do? <laughs> but, you know, with all the time off of work, I spent a lot of time in people's home visiting. And I found there were other people who were also sick. There were other people who had cancer. There were other people who were worried about health and worried about finances and worried about how to move forward the next day. And you start to realize like, man, we are all, I I guess through that experience, I mean, I know we're going to continue on in the story of NC for Y, but just pausing there, that was a very big turning point for me personally and realizing again, I feel like God has to keep teaching me this over and over, but whatever's in our hand, if we give it to Jesus, um, he's not going to let it be wasted. Yeah. And he, that time of two months of what can feel like, okay, now what am I supposed to do? I'm thankful for that time because it really uh, was full of moments in people's homes, getting to know them and realizing, yeah, you're not the only one hurting, Anna. <laughs> you're not the only one wondering what's next. And Jesus is here for each of us and we can, we can live in it and we can share that. Yeah. I think that's an an excellent point, an excellent way to close this off because this idea that you mentioned it and just struck me maybe for the first time, I don't know why, but of being derailed um, from plans or whatever is we, we all, we all live within this mindset that if things don't go a certain way, then we're outside of God's will or we're outside mm. of God's plan or whatever it might be. Or what are we supposed to do with this now? Right, yeah. <laughs> but in every, if the Bible, the Bible has shown us time and time again, that there is no experience we can have that is outside the scope of God's plan, mm. God's plan or outside the scope of God's relationship or outside the scope of God's love. Or and, what he too can yeah, um, yeah. like connect with. Like he, I guess that's what kind of just touching really quick on this book of steps of Christ. Like it really shows how much like he came to the darkest of dark places. And beyond that, like there's no pain that we can experience that he hasn't experienced. Right. And yeah. And it's, and it's as if we believe that the plan is the most important thing that if, as long as there's a plan, then everything will be okay. And then when that plan doesn't work out, then things are terrible. Rather, I don't know how fully I believe this, so everybody take this with a grain of salt. But there isn't necessarily a like a over like there isn't necessarily a plan apart from God is working in our hearts 
to secure our hearts in order for us to live in eternity with him. Mm-hmm. And whatever, like, however, whatever life circumstances happen between now and when we get to spend eternity with him, there's, it's all part of the plan because the plan is for us to be in heaven. Mm-hmm. And so there's not like this over, like every minute of our life needs to be planned out in order. And if that doesn't happen, God's plan has failed or our plan has failed, failed. The plan is just to be in relationship with God and eventually be in relationship with God forever. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. I don't mm-hmm. know. Like, so obviously God has a plan for us on earth that like he has a purpose, but I think we overthink a lot of time, like what the plan is and stuff. Yeah. You know, there's this verse I was just going to, or I've been thinking about it, but it's in John chapter 14. And um, it says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And the rest of the chapter, he goes on to share more of his plan for us. (laughs) But something I just want to note, uh, it says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And and then it goes on in verse 19, a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live or because I live, you will live also. And then in verse 27, he says, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And that's such a promise. Like he, in our human (laughs) experiences, we don't know the future. And so, uh, and God gives us a mind to think and to choose, and we have opportunities to make decisions. But I guess in all of this, just learning to walk day by day with Jesus. And there's times where, we may seek a clearer picture of what it's supposed to look like. And there are times where it may seem darker, but he's there in it with us on a daily basis. And that for me has been so life-changing. Yeah. And it's interesting. The reason for our hearts not being troubled and for living in peace, according to that is that we're going to live with him eternally. Mm -hmm. So that like the, it's not that we know what's going to happen next week or we know that in two years after I graduate college, then I'll have this and I'll have my family and I'll have, and then when those things don't happen, somehow God has failed us. Mm-hmm. When his promise all along has been, you'll live with me in eternity. Mm-hmm. And that's still a promise he's going to do. I don't know. I don't, that's just something I've been thinking about that I think we overthink the plan that there isn't necessarily like this over like this perfect plan for us while we're on earth, apart from living in relationship with God mm-hmm. and with the others. So I so much appreciate you sharing your uh your experience, I know it's difficult to talk about things that mean so much as far as, uh, yeah, things that mean so much are always difficult to talk about because they're so close to home and so personal. So but I appreciate you taking the time to to be a part of this. I really enjoyed listening to your story and getting to hear it in new and, and, and new ways. I'm thankful to be here and I'm thankful for the time to just pause and think how he's led. He truly, um, he's truly there and he wants us to know that, and he always finds a way to show us that. And I think that is the purpose in NC for Y to help people know they're not alone, and that God's there, and He's there in it each step of the way. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Anna. <laughs>